Amen. That's powerful, isn't it? Um, amen. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. As you can tell through the the, the video this morning, we're gonna we're gonna touch on a, on a on a really hard subject that that I believe touches all of us here this morning. And we've been looking over the past weeks, uh, finding our true worth, finding our identity, and overcoming these certain traps that we can easily fall into to try to define ourselves. And, and who we are. And as we've discovered over the last couple of weeks, there's an epidemic in America, and it's an, it's an epidemic of finding who we are. And, and we're just, we're kind of lost. I mean, if you were to look in our world today and, and the things that we gravitate to and the things we run to to try to define who we are is pretty incredible. And, and when you look at that, it's, it's easy to look at our world and wonder why people are so lost. And, and they're looking for pseudo or false things to try to define who they are. And, and we look to external things, don't we, to try to f- define who we are, whether it's our jobs or where we, where we live or how well our kids do. And, and when those things don't work out, it, it's, it's detrimental to our self-worth. The, the, the self-help industry, as we've discovered, is an, as an $11 billion industry every single year trying to tell you how you should feel, how you should act, how you can discover the inner you, right? You hear things like this, there's a spark of the divine within you and you've got to find it within yourself if you're going to truly know who you are. That is a lie from the pit of hell and here's why. And I'm not saying these people that speak this are, are necessarily uh, trying to be evil or, or mean in the way they do it. But the problem is we all have come to understand as believers in Christ, intrinsically, there's nothing good within me, right? The heart is deceitful above, above all things. Who can trust it? And we have to come to understand that if I look within myself to try to find who I am and to try to find my worth, we're going to be gravely disappointed because the Bible tells us that every single one of us has fallen short of God's perfection, has fallen short of the glory of God. And that's because of our sins. So intrinsically, the problem with man is sin. So if I start with me, I'm starting with a faulty premise that maybe for a while I'll feel good about myself, but eventually I haven't really dealt with the root problem. Until we deal with the root problem of man, you will never find your true worth. Now, is it okay to do the best at your job or to try to do well at a sport or a hobby? That, that's not what I'm talking about. That's okay. Those are fine to have, and it's, it's great to want to do well at, at certain things. But if those certain things define who I am and I'm trying to find my worth through those things, you will be disappointed when the things don't work out the way you desire them to, to, to be. And so we have to look at what defines me as a, as, a, as a person. Who am I? Have you ever just taken a look in the mirror one day and just said, who am I? What am I really all about? And what happens is in this world, we look to external things to try to figure out who we are and we want to put forth a, a, an image to people of how we want to be perceived maybe it's by the car we drive or the the clothes we wear i can remember way back in the 90s any of you remember andre agassi any of you remember andre agassi okay 
All the kids are like, who's Andre Agassi? Andre Agassi was a great tennis player, professional tennis player, and he, um, he came out with a set of commercials for Canon cameras, and basically the, the whole marketing scheme of these commercials was image is everything. You remember that, didn't you? Image is everything. And what can happen is, is we create this outward image that doesn't really represent who we are inside. In fact, if I read Andre Agassi's uh, autobiography that, that he wrote called Open, and I never knew this about him, but he had, when he was younger, he had this long flowing hair, and he'd get out in the court and uh, play tennis, and his hair would flow like eight feet behind him when he'd run around. Just an incredible tennis player. And uh, what I didn't know, he was losing his hair very quickly. And he wanted to keep up that image. And he was actually in one major tennis tournament, and he was wearing a wig on his head. And, and it was all pinned. And he said he was so worried about losing that wig off his head and thus being discovered that he was actually losing his hair. He didn't want to give off that image that he was going bald. Guess what? He bought in to the same marketing scheme that Canon wanted him to, to perceive to us. Image is everything. But what's really going on behind the scenes? See, we can create this outward image that doesn't really represent who we are inside. And we, become, we, we can become very fake, not authentic, and, and, and living a lie. You know, if I were just to take a straw poll, or if I were just to take a very impromptu poll of people in the world, and I would go to Tops or Wegmans and people walking out, and I would just to ask people a question, what's the one thing that you have against Christians or the church? I guarantee... People would say the one thing that they don't like about the church or about Christians is that they believe that Christians are hypocrites. You guys are right. Yeah. Somebody said too nice. I wish that, hopefully that's true too. But most of the times they do believe that we are hypocrites, right? How many know that when you come into the church, how many know it gets messy at times? It can be. It can be messy. It can be. It, 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 we, we know that we've got problems and not everything is, is, is perfect. And, and so we can at times see different sides of people. But how many know that for those that are in Christ, we're maturing? We're not perfect yet, right? We're maturing. And, and we are going to have messes. We are going to have problems. But, and I think twofold there, two pronged there, I think sometimes the world uses that as an excuse not to look at their own sin. Because if they say, well, look at the church and they're hypocritical, and, and I always tell those people, come on into the church because we could always use one more. Okay, come on. We love that. Come on. We can always use one more hypocrite. Come on. Um, you know, so I think that's an excuse to cover their own sin. But, but sometimes we struggle with this even as Christians, don't we? Because I think in Christianity, sometimes we can set up this, this, this false idea that when we're Christians, we've got to have it all together, Right? Got to smell nice, got to look nice, got to drive the Christian car, wear the Christian clothes, live in the Christian house, have, have everything Christian, right? This culture of Christianity that we cultivate to make sure that everything looks right. And then when something goes wrong in our life, we're fearful to express that to another believer because we're fearful of rejection, right? I've created this image that I want people to think that everything's okay in my life and it's not really okay and I need help, and God forbid that in our fellowship we would create a culture that doesn't allow people 
to come forward and admit that they've made mistakes in their life. Even as believers. God forbid we would create a culture like that. We have to bear one another's burdens. Life gets messy. And the church is a messy place. And if it's not a messy place, then it's not the church. Because the Bible I read, it's messy. There's lives that are messy. Things aren't perfect. So just because you come into the family of God and, 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 and come to kneel at the lordship of Jesus Christ does not mean that your life is perfect and you have everything worked out. I love when people are authentic and open about their shortcomings and realize that they need a Savior, that they need Christ to continue to work on them, that they humble themselves by God's mighty hand and allow His grace to fix them. Amen? So we've got to be careful here and be careful of what we're trying to cultivate for people to see because I think we're, we're fearful that others will not like the person that's in us and thus will be rejected. And, that, and that's, that's a horrible thing to be in a church and going through a struggle and a problem and not feel like you can turn to a brother or sister in the Lord and ask for help with, with the fear of rejection that they might marginalize you and blacklist you and say, well, I don't hang out with people like that. I'm sorry you feel that way. God forbid we would be that way. And so we've got to be careful here. What, what is, what really, where is our worth coming to? And I hope it's not, I hope we're not fearful that we'll be rejected, that the church should be a place where we can come and express our hurts and our pains and allow Christ to change us. So we have to be careful that we don't create this nice, polished version of what we want people to see in us. And so when something goes wrong in our life, when something happens in our life, let's be very careful here that we don't say things like, wow, I thought that couple had everything. They had the nice house, they had the job, everything looked good on the outside. I'm really surprised that this happened in their life. Guess what? Things happen. Things happen in people's lives. And I think what happens is because of regret, and because of the guilt of our past, we tend to hide those things in and we don't want anyone to see them or know about them. And then all of a sudden something happens where those things surface and other people see them and we're left exposed because the real heart and the real matter came out because we never really dealt with the regret of, of our past. I, I read, there was a true story. I read this book. It's really interesting. It was a true story that happened right here in Rochester about 12 years ago. And um, it's very complementary to what we're talking about here. It, was, uh, it, it happened in a very, very affluent neighborhood in Rochester in the Brighton area. It was uh, a doctor, an orthopedic specialist, and his wife, who was a family physician. What happened in that very exclusive neighborhood in Brighton is this, this orthopedic specialist killed himself and then ended up killing his doctor wife and they had two children at the time there was a writer and a lawyer who lived in that neighborhood when he was younger and then thus moved back into the neighborhood his name was peter lovenheim and he was a lawyer and author and a freelance writer and he this really disturbed him because this happened in his neighborhood and this is what he said here's a a, a, a suburb in Rochester, New York, where many of the homes are mansions, where all the lawns are manicured, where all the trees are, are mature, and the BMWs are kept in the garage, not in the driveway. 
And he wrote a book, and I read the book. It was a very interesting book. He wrote, he wrote a book called In the Neighborhood, A Search for Community on an American Street. And what this, what this author did I thought was pretty cool. After this event happened, he says, I don't even know my neighbors. I don't really even know them. So what he did, he did this experiment where he would go up to the neighbors and ask if he could stay with them a couple days, like sleepovers. <laughs> Some of the neighbors were like, are you weird? Are, are you one of those guys? You know? And he says, no, I've lived, I grew up here, I've since moved back. He goes, I, and, and some uh, of the neighbors let him stay with them. And he said he stayed with one retired doctor for like, I don't know how many days and really got to know him and what was going on in his family. So he did this experiment and he asked all the people, I don't, know, I don't know if it was like half of them let him stay. I don't know, I can't remember. It's been a while since I read the book. But he let about half of them. And this is what he said, uh, USA Today did an article on this book, and, and, and they quoted him, and this is what he said. He says, as a whole family disappeared from the street, and the effect on the neighborhood seemed quite slight, says Lovenheim. He says, who lived down the street. He says, how could that be? I only knew them casually. Nobody knew them well. That seemed odd to me that a whole family could be here and only be acquaintances. You see, what we have to realize is it doesn't matter where you live, right? You can live in a very fluent neighborhood in Brighton or wherever. It doesn't matter where you live. How many you know that people are hurting? That people are struggling? That people are living with the regrets of their past and they have no one to talk to. Now, I don't know about these doctors. I'm not going to judge them. But, but there had to be something in their life, these past regrets and all this guilt and all this anger that was pent up that they had no one to talk to, to one day it escalated to where it had to result in something that violent and almost shake a neighborhood where they felt this could never happen in our neighborhood. Not with these type of people, not with these educated, wealthy people. This could never happen. But guess what, people? It does happen. And if we're not careful, we can live with regrets and the guilt of our past to the point to where it overwhelms us till we get to a situation as extreme as this. You see, many of us hide from the shame and the regrets of our past it, it, because they never get dealt with. No matter how successful we may feel about ourselves, we still have this sense of hopelessness. We allow the, the past to dictate our future. It's, a, it's a, literally a chain that can hold us. And you may think, well, well I screwed up too many times. It, it won't work out. I, I, I will mess this up again somehow. Robert McGee makes this great statement. He says, too often our self-image rests solely on an evaluation of our past behavior being measured only through a memory. Day after day, year after year, we tend to build our personalities on the rubble of yesterday's personal disappointments. You see, and if we're not careful, we can live with this victim mentality. It's everybody else's fault. And this is the way I am. I'm damaged goods. This is why I can't get ahead, why I'm so messed up today. Regrets and shame can exhibit itself in all kinds of behavior, anger, overwhelming sense of guilt, insecurity, lack of intimacy, or openness with other people. In order to overcome our past regrets and our shame, we need to turn to something else. And what we've come to realize over the last several weeks is the realization that Christ 
is bigger than my sin and all my past failures or anything else I've done. Somebody say amen. That's the hope that we have in Christ. We have to be willing to let go of our past in order to embrace that new life in Christ. Now, listen to me very carefully because there's a battle that we're battling in our world today with the self-help industry because they're telling you you can find it within yourself. And many of these self-help gurus will talk about Jesus. But in the same sense, they'll talk about Buddha and Hinduism. And they'll, they'll make this nice potpourri of self-help mismatch and they'll put a bow on it put some potpourri on it and make it smell really good to shovel that garbage to you. That's what they do. PBS pushes all that garbage all the time. Like, man, I wish PBS would, would put a, a good Christian teacher on there to, to compliment and to, and to one-up the garbage that they're spewing out to you about self-help and how to help yourself. I'm sorry. I just had to get that off my chest, okay? Apologize, okay? I just had to get that off my chest. So here's, here's listen. Listen, I know this is hard for many of us for this reason. My, my old life can easily become a security and it's hard to change. How do you change the, the spots on a leopard? But listen to me closely. God doesn't offer us self-improvement or a self-help of the old person or just a tune-up. God just doesn't want to change the color of the outside of your car it may be a different color, but guess what? It's the same engine under the hood. It may look real pretty on the outside, but underneath it's that same engine. You see, what the Lord wants to do in your life is he wants to change everything and in fact give you a brand new life. And so in order to overcome the past regrets that we have, and every single one of us have them, I know it, we're, we're sitting there and and you may be worshiping God one moment and just feeling the freedom of Christ and what he's done. And how many of you are like me? And all of a sudden, this thought of your past comes in, right? It's like, how could you be worshiping the Lord? Look at your past. And we know that's the enemy. We know that's his tactics to push us away and lead us away from Christ and the freedom that we can find in him because he wants you to dwell in the past and the hopelessness of your regrets. I can remember the first funeral I ever did as a pastor from 23 years ago. And I was at a church in Albany, New York. And the pastor says, I, you know, he's great with me, really helped mentor me. And he goes, I want you to help me with this funeral. You'll have to do some on your own. So I really want to show you. So I, I was nervous, so I helped. And I can remember at this funeral, it was a young mom who died. She was in her early 40s. She was a waitress at a local diner. Very beautiful woman, came to our church, very nice she had three or four girls, and they were in, not in a good relationship. The girls really, I don't know what the, what the reason was. I don't know what happened in their relationship. But there's this strained relationship between the mom and the daughters. And she was trying to reach out to them. The girls wouldn't talk to her. I don't know what happened. But at the funeral, the girls were there. And after the funeral, we had a, just a moment to allow the girls to, to just say their last respects to their mom. And these girls went ballistic. It, it, was, it was a scene, man. It, it was just out there. They were grabbing at the body. They were, sorry, mom, for all the things we put you through. There was so much guilt and regrets that were pent up that they weren't able to say to their mom when she was alive. 
And then when she died, guess what? It was too late. And so all this, it was like poison and stuff that just spewed out of them. And, and, and I'm holding one of the girls back. The other pastor, he was about four foot one. He was holding the other. I mean, it, it, the, the funeral director was holding the girls back and we had tried to get them out of the room. And I'm looking at the pastor going, is this the way funerals are all the time? Because <laughs> I didn't sign up for this, okay? I quit, okay? Because I didn't, this is not what I signed up. This is crazy, okay? I, I, I need to lift weights a little more if I'm going to do f- more funerals, okay? I need to get in better shape if I'm going to do some funerals here. And, but, but the problem with the girls, it was so sad. And luckily, we were able to minister to the girls and help them to get through it. But the problem is, it was the past regrets that were never dealt with. And so in order for God to help us with all our past regrets, which we all have them, Hindsight is twenty twenty. We can look back and say, man, I could have done it. I know some of you are watching the, the, the video at the beginning, and you're like, whoa, whoa. There were some arrows being zinged right at your heart, and you're like, man, I don't know if I can take this today. That, that, man, that thing just touched on some areas in my life that I never realized were there. But how can we overcome this? I, I want you to understand something. In Christ, what God offers us is complete Transformation. Not just a tune-up, not just tweaking the old man. What God offers us in Christ is complete transformation. And there's a word in the Bible that I want us to look at this morning, and it's a word called regeneration. What Christ does to us is he literally regenerates us. And it's an important word in the Bible because what it means is to actually recreate or to be born again. Now, I, I have to realize that I cannot regenerate myself no matter how hard I try, no, no matter how religious I try to act, no matter how many self-help books that I read, there is no way that I can regenerate myself. Because intrinsically in myself is sin, and I can't overcome my sin nature without a Savior. And so the problem with these self-help gurus, they're trying to tell you to bypass, they're not telling you about sin, They're not telling us that our hearts are deceitful above all things, like the prophet Jeremiah says, who can trust it. They're telling you, you actually have something good within you. There's a spark of the divine, and you just have to find that. Oh, isn't that neat and dandy? Just try to find it within you, and once you find it, you'll be released from yourself. That is a lie from the pit of hell, because the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the only way we can find it is by coming to a Savior who paid that debt for us. So listen, we've got to be careful here. No matter how hard I try, I cannot overcome myself. You can change. Listen, you can change. And many people have overcome their addictions, and that's great. But the problem is this. Without Christ, I'm still dead in my sins, the Bible says. So basically what you have is you can have somebody that can overcome alcoholism or their drug addiction. That's wonderful and that's great. But the problem is, so I'm a sober sinner. Hate to say it, but that's all you are. You stop drinking or doing drugs or all this other stuff, but without Christ, we're still dead in our sins, right? So now I just don't drink, but I'm still a sinner because I've got to deal with the heart issue. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, every single one of you need to read that book. Wonderful book. C.S. Lewis says this. 
But we must not suppose that even if we succeeded in making everyone nice, we should have saved their souls. A world of nice people, content in their own niceness, looking no further, turn away from God, would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and a might ever be more difficult to save. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. Jesus is not some self-help guru to make me a better me. He came to redeem me from me. That's a quote from Barton Drace, by the way. You can write that down. I don't have many of them, but that was a good one, all right? And I think that's the problem in our world today because we're fighting against the meism. It all starts with me, right? So we're all, we're fighting against this meism. It can't start with me because every single one of us without Christ are flawed. We are all flawed. We're all born into sin and we need a savior so it cannot start with me. God regenerates us through the work of the Holy Spirit and literally changes us from the inside out. I love what Paul says here in Titus 3. Let's read a couple of verses here. Paul says this, great words. He says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kind of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, catch this, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Somebody say amen. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal. He redeemed us by who? The Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified, been made right by God, by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. What great words. What words of hope that he said it didn't come because you found yourself or you found the spark of the divine within you. He said it came when you realized that you were a sinner and you needed a savior and it wasn't because you were righteous or you did anything good. It was because God was merciful to us and that God poured his grace out upon you and gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit which washed you and sealed you to the day of redemption. Praise be to God. So notice the words Paul uses, the washing of the Holy Spirit. Your salvation did not come from good works, but from the work of God through Christ. In, here's the good news. In Christ, we are complete. And here's where we have to be careful. Because we can easily use Jesus as another self-help tool to get us out of our predicament, right? Overcoming addiction is wonderful, but if I have only cleaned up the outside and never dealt with the sin in my heart, I've fallen short of God's standards. We must be regenerated in order to be made right before God. And so regeneration is this impartation of a completely new life. I like what Lewis Burkhoff says here. He says, defining what regeneration is. He says, regeneration consists of the 
and planting of the principle of a new spiritual life in man. It's a radical change of governing disposition of the soul, which under the influence of the Holy Spirit gives birth to a life that moves in a Godward direction. And the principle, this change affects the whole man, the intellect, the will, the feelings, and emotions. He changes everything. And so now there becomes this battle, right? When we walk in that newness of life, how many know that we still battle the flesh? We still battle that old man. Even even Paul admits it in Romans where he says, who can save me from this wretched man that I am? Because I want to do good, then I do just the opposite of what I want to do. And it just drives me crazy at times. And he ends that whole chapter by saying, praise be to God, only through Christ Jesus can I find the victory. Only through Christ can I find his grace and his mercy to help me through my life? So if I correctly understand this, how am I to live my life now as that redeemed person and overcome the regrets of my past and all the guilt and all the wrong things that I've done? Paul has an answer for us for this question in Ephesians chapter 4, verse, starting verse 22. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off that old self. It's an image here of clothing, Really saying to take off that old clothing the way you used to be, just take it off. Take off that old clothing. Strip yourself of those things. So strip yourself of that old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So God redeems us for a purpose. God redeems us. That doesn't mean we're never going to make mistakes. But God says, listen, I've got something so much greater for you. As a redeemed follower of Christ, Paul now encourages his listeners to walk in it now. My actions change in the light of the truth of God's word. I now walk in self-control, watching my actions, watch what I say, not flying off the handle. And so what Paul does for us is he gives us, here's the characteristics of a redeemed person. Here's what it looks like to be a person that walks in that newness of life, in that new creation that God gives us. He says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We understand that our works don't save us, but once I'm in Christ and I come to him by faith and his grace saves me, what happens now is that I'm created in Christ Jesus to do good things. I want to do what's right. That doesn't mean I'm never going to make a mistake or that we're never going to have to repent from our sins. But we know now with the Spirit of God inside me that I want to do what's right. I want to, I want to uplift my brothers and my sisters. I pray for one another. I want to do the things that are right before God's eyes. So our good works are a direct result of God's redeeming work in us. I love what he says to the church in Coloss- Colossae in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Listen to the words here. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have any grievances against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Pretty powerful stuff there. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart, since, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. 
Do psalms, hymns, songs of the, from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so what he's sharing with us, he goes, this is what a group of redeemed believers in Christ should look like. This, this is what our response should be from a God who saves us by his mercy and through his wonderful grace. He says, now my response is, I need to forgive one another. I need to show kindness to one another. That God, through your love, we're going to be patient with one another. That none of us are perfect. That we're going to, we're going to have issues that we're not going to see eye, eye to eye on. But Lord, work your love with... Can you imagine how deep and rich Christ's love was for us? That while he hung on the cross for us, taking God's wrath, taking the punishment for our sin, that he reaches out and yells out, Father God, forgive them for they know not what they do? What kind of Savior is that? That's a Savior that is so rich and deep in His love for us that He demonstrates His love for us that while I was still alienated from God, still a sinner, mocking Him, cussing Him to His face, that Jesus was still willing to die for me because Jesus made a choice. Not based on whether or not I would receive Him or not. He made a choice to love me regardless and go to the cross to die for my sins. That's a pretty wonderful Savior. And so what Paul is reiterating here to each and every one of us is, listen, you've got to be willing to forgive one another. The same way that God forgave you, you need to be willing to forgive each other and create a bond of peace within the unity of Christ that allows his love to flow through each and every one of us and not allow our differences to separate us. That doesn't mean we overlook sin and rebellion, that there's not correction. I mean, no, as parents, you've got to correct your kids. You just don't love them and say, that's okay, because I love you. Thou know not what thou doeth, okay? No, you knew what you did, okay? No, I'm just teasing. You knew what you did, okay? So you've got to correct, you've got to discipline. You do it in love. We balance love with truth, right? Because we want people to be restored, right? So that's not what I'm talking about here. We need to also complement that with what we're saying here. But it's that love, it's that patience, it's that peace of Christ that rules our hearts that we express to one another and thus God is exalted within our midst. Listen to me closely here, listen. I know, because I blow it at times and you blow it at times, I know many times we blow it and we all need forgiveness. But this is what we strive for. It's all about growing in maturity. It's all about growing up, right? None of us in this place are perfect. You may think you are, but you're not, okay? You're not perfect. You may think you are, but you're not. You may think you got it all together and got everything straight and neat and what you like, but you know, you're not perfect. We all make mistakes. And so we got to show each other a little bit of grace, right? Because see, it's all about growing in maturity. And, and, and I think that's the problem with the world's perception of Christians and why they call us hypocrites because they think we have to be perfect, right? How many know there's, there's going to be no perfection until, the, until we go on the other side until we get to heaven, right? So we're maturing, aren't we? Everybody matures at different ways and different levels, right? 
And it's easy for us to get frustrated with one another because they're not maturing at the rate that I'm maturing, right? Because I'm more mature than you are. Why don't you see my way? Because I'm more mature than you, and how come you don't see it my way? We have to be very patient with one another. So we're all maturing. But if we're bearing with one another in love and we're being patient with one another, then God is exalted in our midst. If we're loving each other through our differences and we're still in allowing our fellowship to be pure and for Christ to be exalted, then Christ is very pleased, right? Right? Okay, Christ is pleased with that. So it's all about maturity. And so here's what I want you to realize. You've got to remind yourself of this. When your past regrets and your past guilts flood your mind, and they will at times, of all the mistakes that you've made in the past, when those things begin to flood your mind, you need to remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Because if you've come to Christ and you've bowed before his lordship and you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, you are forgiven and you are cleansed. Christ places the Holy Spirit within you and makes you a new person, a new creation, the Bible says. You are born again. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. You can't get in it through your own flesh and through your own work, so stop trying. Only God can change the inner heart, the inner person. You've got to be renewed and you have to be redeemed. So in order to overcome the past regrets, I want you to get this. I want you to understand who you are in Christ. Through Christ, you need to understand that you are forgiven. God forgives everything. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? God forgives everything. Why? Because he just overlooks it? No, there was a great penalty that was paid for your sin. And that's the whole reason. That's why I get so irritated. And I'm so sorry. I get so irritated with these self-help gurus. Because basically they're telling you, you can do it on your own strength. And basically what that is, it's a mockery. When you use my Lord and Savior's name and your teaching, I'm just I'm being honest with you here. Can I just be honest with you? I'm taking out my shotgun here, okay? I'm just being honest with you. When you can sit there in the same sentence and use my Lord and Savior and your teachings in the same sentence, talk about Hinduism and everything else and, and mishmash it all together, what it is, it's a mockery to what Jesus actually accomplished on the cross. Because here's why I want you to understand. The reason why you're forgiven is Jesus died a bloody death for you and I. There was a sacrifice that had to be paid for our sins, and Jesus took it for you and I. That's the type of Savior we, we serve today. You are forgiven because of the blood of Christ was shed for you. It appeased the holiness of God. There had to be a sacrifice made in order to appease God's perfection. Jesus was perfect in every way, so he took that very sin, I don't care what sin you, you claim, whatever sin you've done, whatever thing you did in your past, whatever you're going to do in your future, whatever you're going to do this afternoon, Jesus died to it. And you are forgiven because of his blood and his sacrifice. And we confess that to the Lord by faith. It's covered. It's covered. As far as the east East, 
is from the west, right? As far as the north is from this. I know I got that right. The north is from the south. Your sins, your transgressions are removed from you. And God says, I remember them no more. Now, the problem is I still remember them, and I'm not real proud of them, Jesus. I'm not real proud. God says, but I don't remember them, Barton. You're covered in my blood. I died for you, and I died to all your crud and all your nastiness and all your wrong thinking. I died to that part. So you're forgiven. Remind yourself of that. When that regret, guilt of your past comes up, you are forgiven by his blood and his sacrifice. Remind yourself that you are now reconciled to God. What this means is you are now friends with God with no more fear of rejection. You don't fear what man can do to you any longer. You don't have to fit in any longer. You don't have have to care whether or not you're doing this right or doing that right or whatever it might be. You don't have to have the fear of rejection of man anymore because now you are friends with God. You are reconciled with God. God has bought you back. He's purchased you back from the bonds of sin which held you captive to Satan's grip and the fear of death. You are reconciled. You are now friends with God. Jesus took all that shame and all that guilt upon himself. Your very sin that alienated you from God, you are now restored. Jesus is that reconciler now. He makes it right. And so now you're friends with God. I don't care what man thinks anymore. I just care what God thinks. And I'm friends with him now. Remind yourself that you are now free from judgment For this very reason, God's wrath has been appeased through the substitutionary death of Christ. You are are no longer fearful of God's judgment. Why? Because it was poured out upon Christ, upon that tree 2,000 years ago. Jesus appeased God's judgment upon his perfect sacrifice. So now there's no more fear of God. Not walking down the street and... You think a bad thought, and you're like, oh, it's a lightning storm. Is God going to strike me down with lightning now? Is God going to judge me? Because my There's no more fear of judgment. And listen, we're going to get into this in January. We're going to talk about end times in January. We're going to talk about two judgment seats that await us in the future. There's the Bema seat judgment, which is for all believers. We're going to straighten what that means out, because some of you are kind of fearful of the Bema seat judgment. Like, is everything going to be exposed in my life? We're going to talk about that, okay? For you Christians that are all worried about that, we're going to talk about the beam. And then there's the great white throne judgment. That's the one you need to be afraid about because that's no one, if you're not a believer in Christ, will escape that. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God will judge the earth. God will judge the sinful intentions of man at the great white throne judgment. And we're going to talk, we're going to get deep in that February, March. So you're not, you're, you're, listen, you're free of that judgment, okay? Remember when you were a kid and you did something wrong, your mom said, wait till your dad gets home. You're like up in your room, what's my dad going to do to me? Just, just spank me now, mom. Get it over with. No, my dad was good with me. The wrath of my dad. And then, and I love this, 
last one, because this is what we all need to hear, is that you are new. You are now complete. There is no more need to look for pseudo-counterfeits to make you feel worthy. You are a new creation. Behold, the Bible says, all things become new. You've got a bright future in Christ. That doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. But listen, there's one that you can come to now. That Christ says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden and burdensome because you're trying to do religion your own way and you're trying to appease God and it's just made you feel more guilty. I remember talking to one guy one, one time. He says, yeah, I see your church is growing. This is great, blah, blah, blah. He goes, yeah, at our church, the reason why the people are in the pews is because they're all made to feel guilty to come. And if they don't come, we, all, we just make them feel guilty. Well, that's nice. That's why I want to come to church because I want to feel guilty because I don't come. And I'm made to feel guilty if I do come. I mean, th- is, that what, is that what it's about? To have more guilt and condemnation? Play? Oh, it's great that you all come to church and I'm th- thrilled that you came. We should come because we need to honor the Lord and fellowship with one another and be in corporate worship. That's important. The Bible tells us to do that. But if I'm made to feel guilty for all the things that I do, that's not a relationship, is it? No, I'm not walking in freedom. You are a new person. So for those of you here today when, that are battling with all the stuff from your past, all that guilt, let Christ cleanse you today. Let him do the work that no book, no other person, no other pastor, no other counselor, no, no, no other person could ever do for you. You need a Savior. And when you bow your heart before him, you humble yourself before him, the Bible says God will lift you up. You've got a bright future in Christ. There's hope. There's hope. You don't have to live and be tied and to be chained to the regrets of your past. That does not define who you are. When you are in Christ, you are a new creation, and your worth is directly tied to what Christ has already done for you. You are his child now. You're his sons and you're his daughters and you are redeemed. He purchased you back through his own precious blood. Amen. I want you to bow your hearts with me today. I want to pray for you today. How many of you would just say here this morning, Pastor Barden, I've got to be really brutally honest with you here this morning. I'm struggling with my past. I'm struggling with the guilt. I blame myself for a lot of stuff. It's it's just it it it's like a it's like a mouse that just gnaws at a piece of cheese or a cracker. It just keeps gnawing at me every single day. It it just it, I I'm just struggling, Pastor. Maybe you're here today and it, it, it you 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 came into this place and it was like you were dragging a hundred pound weight behind your back and you dragged it in here this morning. Let me just tell you, Christ tells you this morning to let it go. Stop trying to fix it yourself. Stop dragging that weight of your guilt and your regrets around. Let me cover it in my blood. Let me cover it 
through my forgiveness for you, for what I did for you. Just come. Jesus said, just come. He said, come. Come with all that stuff. Lay it at my feet. Let me redeem you today. Let me give you a peace that you can't find in this world. Let me redeem you today. How many be, be so bold? Say, Pastor, that's me. I'm gonna be, I'll be honest with you. That's me, Pastor. By the raised hand, that, that's me, Pastor. Because the Lord wants to touch you today. He says, come to me and, and just let me take all that stuff. Let me forgive it. Let me, let me cleanse it. Let me cover it in my blood today. Thank you. I appreciate that. Lord knows your heart. And so, Lord, we come before you today. And we lay this at your feet. Lord, we need you. And, Lord, none of us in this place are perfect. We're, we're, we're just a bunch of beggars, God, telling another beggar where to find bread. And so we come to you today, Jesus, and we say we need you. Lord, I pray for your healing on every heart here today. As we reach out to you by faith and your grace, that you would bring that healing that we need today. That we would not be defined by our past regrets, but we would now be defined by what Christ has already done for us. That we are worthy in Christ. We are worthy because Christ paid the penalty for our sin, and we can now become sons and daughters of the Most High. And that gives us a hope that this world could never give us. And so, Lord, I pray that the reality of your words, Jesus, would be real to every person in this place today. That for those that need to come to you and find salvation, they would come to you by faith through your grace, God. And you would save them today, restore them, and redeem them as they place their faith in you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let me just say this as we're going, just as we close today in song. Couple things here. If you if, if you made a first time commitment to Christ, there's Bibles in the seats. You can take those. There's a book in our narthex called What Now at the information table. You can take that. It helps you in your walk with the Lord. That's free. That's for you. I want you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. But as we as we worship and we close the service in this last song, if you're here today, I'm just going to open up the altars today. If you want to come and just pray and just say, Lord, I just want to. Just lay my life down before your hands. and I just want to worship you. It's just a symbolic act saying, God, I just give you my life. Listen, just lay it at his feet. The altar is just symbolic of coming and it's a, it's a symbol of sacrifice, really. That God, I'm just offering you my life anew and afresh. By you coming and just praying, it's just saying, Lord, I'm just offering you my life anew and afresh today. I'm laying this guilt and these burdens at your feet and I'm asking you to take them I'm asking you to to forgive me and I'm asking you to heal me and he'll do it because he's good and he loves you amen so let's stand and um, as we sing the song I want to invite you if you want to come and just pray up at the front you are welcome And let's just worship the Lord. God bless you. On me close to
living in this world when it's so easily to be reminded of all our mistakes and all our failures. And I pray, Lord, we would continue to look to the cross to find our strength and our worth. That it's only through your mercy and grace that we could ever be worthy. And so, Lord, let us be those people that are filled with your grace and your love. Not only as we receive it, which we're so grateful for, but that we would also give it, God that we would show grace and mercy to one another as we walk patiently with each other, Lord. So God, I pray you would bind our, our body, our church together through your precious blood, that Lord, this would be a place where we would feel safe, that we could express our concerns to each other, that we could find healing in the body that we would bear one another's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ, that we would be faithful to continue to do that as we grow in maturity in you. So I pray you touch every heart here today, no matter what they're going through. I thank you that you've redeemed us, that there's hope for tomorrow because of Christ. So I thank you for your word today. You're good. You're a good, 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 good God. And we lay our lives at your feet. And we want to be careful to ask these things. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. God is good. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Go in God's grace. Amen.